The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission. After 20 years of anti-slavery work around the globe, IJM is hosting a momentous event called Liberate. This gathering will include all of IJM's staff and others who are passionate about ending slavery, individuals who are excited to to step up and hear the call and further the movement of ending slavery. If you would like to learn more and get tickets, go to liberategathering.org. And for a limited time, you can use the promo code THENEWACTIVIST to get $20 off your ticket. That website again is liberategathering.org. I look forward to seeing you there. Well, this is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today. I I love being a part of the show because if you've noticed, if you've been listening for a while, this show sometimes is just me. Eddie, getting to learn about things that I don't know. And so I find a topic that I'm interested in and I try to reach out to someone who is an expert and then you basically hear me get educated in real time. And this is one of those shows because today we have the privilege to hear from Nathan Greenfield. He is the general director of Alliance Academy Jordan. It is just this incredible school that is located uh, right in the heart of Jordan in the Middle East. And you're gonna hear that part of the conversation is just me trying to get a better understanding of what life is like in the Middle East, because I, I've i grown up with this narrative about life there. I've heard about the Arab Spring. Some of my youngest memories are watching the Gulf War on television and trying to make sense of why people would go to war. And now we get to speak with and hear from Nathan, someone who is right in the middle of that world. And not only is he in the middle of it, but he is part of a incredible project, an incredible school that really fuses together, I would say, some of the best of humanity. So I look forward uh, to, to sharing this conversation with you and going on this journey together. With no further ado, here is the conversation that I was privileged to have with Nathan Greenfield. So Nathan, you and your wife Rachel have been in the Middle East for quite a while. Like, is it? Am I right in the timeline that it's been over a decade? Yeah, yeah. We actually got here to Amman, Jordan, in two thousand seven. Okay. So about eleven years now. Did you did you grow like? Did you where did you grow up? How did you get to Amman from? I'm guessing not Amman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually grew up in uh, South America. Oh. I grew up in Chile, South America. Oh. And um, I actually went to the States at 18. I mean, my parents are from the States, but, uh, you know, my parents uh, worked uh, overseas with the church. And then at 18 years old, um, you know, I went to school in, in Georgia and then you went met from, my wife there. You went from yeah. Chile to Georgia? To, yeah, Georgia, not the country, the, the state. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh okay. Which, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Still, though, that is quite a cultural shift. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Okay, and so you you met Rachel in Georgia? My my wife Rachel, we met in college and then about okay. 2 years after college um we we moved to Amman, Jordan. Well, that's a okay, that's a big <laughs> it's a big movement. So how did you how why? Why did you move to Jordan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um uh you know, growing up overseas, it it gives you an appreciation for overseas life obviously and um, you know, I was scheduled to do a business internship in China, 
Um, and when that internship was uh, almost ready to to go, uh, SARS broke out, if you remember, years ago. And uh, instead of anyone going to China, everyone was coming back to the state. So my internship got canceled. I, and then I ended up doing a, a short-term trip with uh, our local church to Amman to help do some uh, community work, uh, actually um, tear down uh, a building uh, to be able to rebuild it later. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was my first uh, understanding of the Middle East uh, here in Amman back in 2003. And, you know, after that, once you visit a place, you, you get to fall in love with it. And, you know, so that's been our story ever since. Did you, uh, like, uh, what, what, what I, I'm curious because there are a lot of people listening that I'm imagine, imagining are sort of this college-ish age and maybe yeah. have these kind of, dreams in the back of their mind or these little things in their heart that they may not even even said out loud, but like they, they too want to do X, Y, Z. And it seems by the rest of the world, like kind of nuts, you know, like this is a big thing. Yeah, how did yeah. the conversation start with you and Rachel and how does that, how does it progress? Cause it's, it's really, it, it's really a thing. I mean, I know the world is smaller to you because you've lived in different places and you really have a sense of it, but still to pack up your stuff and move there is quite a, decision what was that decision making process like well you know it's it's a as you said is a great word it's it's a process it's not just a one one day thing um you know uh my my wife she studied intercultural studies so you know mm-hmm. she's that was her degree learning about different cultures she actually went to uh mongolia to do an internship um, so that was, I believe that was her first experience outside of the United States. So that was a big, uh, eye-opening experience mm-hmm. for her. Um, and you know, I, uh, I got a business degree and we really wanted to use, um, our skills, uh, overseas, uh, you know, working with the church, but thinking through maybe in a, in, in a way that we could use, um, the skills that we had acquired, um, and, you know, I, I probably, we probably worked for a year and a half, um, before we got a call, um, asking us to come and, and serve here in Jordan. And, you know, I think sometimes the hardest time and place is waiting, you know, um, mm. because you want to do something, uh, you want to serve God and you don't always know how or when. Um, and I just remember, uh, we were living before we moved to Jordan in Birmingham, Alabama. And I just remember taking, taking walks and just, uh, just, just wait, just a long period of waiting on God saying, what, what does he have for us? Cause we knew that we wanted to be overseas, uh, serving him and, you know, uh, out of the blue one day, uh, we got a phone call and just said, Hey, we, we need your help over in, in Amman, Jordan. And. Nine months later, we packed up our bags and we were there. Man, so uh, you, you said that you wanted to serve overseas, and that's honorable and understandable. But but uh, why? What was the what What did you know about the world, about yourself, about yeah. what you felt some sort of calling to? What made you want to want to do that? Because there's work to be done everywhere. How did you figure out that you wanted to go somewhere else? Yeah, yeah. Well. Um why, why overseas and what is that service? You know, um, I think one of the things that's, that's, uh, unique about, um, you know, our faith is that, 
you know, we have implanted in us such a deep love from God. And, and, you know, and I love this podcast because um, that love that we have from God is not just words, but it's also action. And, um, you know, uh, there's, there's needs all over the world. And, um, you know, uh, when we got placed here in Jordan, uh, one of the neat things that we were able to do is uh, receive a lot of teams from the United States. And one of the, the interesting things is that there's just always so much uh, bad uh, press, you know, in the news about the Middle East. And it was great because uh, for probably four or five years, we would um, we would have teams come in and they would do um, uh, they would teach uh, uh, English in the summer times. And and I would remember they would come in in the uh, at the beginning of the first week and they were afraid and skeptical. And by the second week, they had just developed such a love for people. And and hmm. and the eye opening part was you know people are people all over the world. Um, and so many hmm. times it's, it's, uh, it's movies, it's media, it's stereotype that make you think a certain thing that makes you afraid. But when you, when you actually get to know people and you get into their lives, um, you just realize we all kind of struggle with the same things. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that was where I was leading to because Jordan is in the Middle East, which yeah, in yeah. the, the U S vernacular, of course, just puts up all kinds of warning flags of people because of what, uh, I think, you know, we have heard throughout media and yeah, most of yeah. our formative life since, you know, I was in third grade when the Iraq war, the first Iraq yes. war happened, you know, yeah. like this, we've spent our life hearing scary stories about Syria and Iraq and Saudi Arabia. And Jordan is, well, you tell me what is, what is Jordan like and how is it different than what you think that most Westerners would view Jordan yeah. like? Well, you know, it is in the Middle East, so mm-hmm. a lot of it's uh, a good portion of it's desert. But you know, up in the north, there is a lot of hills and trees, and um, and it's it's definitely a developing country. Um, and it's and I would say, for the most part, it's a very moderate country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a kingdom; it's the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, and um, it's led by King Abdullah II, and he um, he he's an ex- extremely kind and um, a, a very moderate king. Uh, so it, it really works for the country. Um, and but you know at the same time it's had it's it's, it's crazy challenges because you know uh, it's it's literally surrounded by conflict. Um, you know uh, just to the west of us we have uh, Palestine. And yeah. and uh, Israel and the conflicts that even have arisen just in the last few weeks politically, yeah. um, we have to the north Syria and then over you know to the east Iraq and then, um, but uh, you know it's it's interesting because yet at the same time uh, a lot of Jordanians um, um, are very Western in thinking, a mm. lot have traveled to Europe have been educated overseas. Uh, so there's a huge Western influence as well. Um, you know, uh, more and more uh, companies from the U.S. are coming in. You know, we've had Starbucks and McDonald's for years. Um, just recently, you know, chains like uh, Dairy Queen and P.F. Chang's have come in. Um, so <laughs> you, you do you do have a sense of the old world 
but you, it's also a sense of the new world as well. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, um, probably the newer generation in Jordan would be more similar to the thinking of maybe the newer generation in the States mm-hmm. than, uh, maybe their grandparents' generation. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, just because of technology and social media, you know, it's, it's yeah. disruptive all over the world. Yeah. What was it like for you during, cause you were there in 2011 and 12, right? This, this time described as the Arab spring. Was that, you were there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually in the States, um, at the very beginning of the Arab spring, but we came back, uh, shortly after. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, when tensions had kind of shifted from, you know, like Egypt and let's say North Africa up to Syria and Syria was just a, you know, you know, at, at the beginning of their crisis. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time because, you know, I remember, uh, we have some partners up in the North, uh, in a city just, uh, near the border of Syria and Jordan. Um, actually it was a local church there and, you know, they were just talking about how there was about 30 or 40 uh, Syrian families that had fled from Syria. And, uh, you know, this church reached out to them and, you know, uh, did visits and took them, you know, gas bottles and uh, mattresses because they just literally had nothing. They they ran away yeah. and they had nothing. And, I mean, so in the course of the last six, seven years, I mean, Jordan has seen, I don't know, it's probably over a one. 1.4, 1.5 million uh, Syrian refugees just flood through the country. Wow. And, and, and just to put it in perspective, you know, the country at that time was about six, seven million people. So it, it wow. wasn't just, you know, like a million, imagine a million people coming into the States. That's over 300 million. I mean, that was, you know, a chunk of its population itself. So, uh, um, wow. so it, it's, it shows you the the hospitality and the kindness of the Jordanian people, but it also also tells you that um, really the, the Jordanian um, uh, the Jordanian people have really been pushed to its absolute limits in terms of uh, resources and hosting that many people. It sounds like Jordan is really in the midst of a. A cultural identity, I wouldn't say crisis, but a real moment. But because between how you describe essentially the westernization of Jordan, which I know in some ways has positive effects, you know, it's good to get business and Starbucks and Dairy Queen and things. But at the same yeah, time, yeah. it really, but, but between that and also the influx of essentially, you know, a sixth of the population, more people overnight, it would seem, it would seem like Jordan is really in a state of figuring out who Jordan is, especially, you know, and in addition, just with its proximity to the countries around it. Um, do you feel like Jordan has its own sense of who they are and what their culture is and what it means to be a Jordanian? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's, it's always a very delicate balance because, yeah. um, you know, Jordan's a relatively new country, you know, it's only yeah, 60, 70 yeah. years old. And crazy. before that, it was just made up of towns, uh, small little towns and uh, a lot of like l- little Bedouin villages. So, yeah. you know, there's like the original population of Bedouin tribes that make up Jordan. And then, you know, back in 1948 and 67, there was a huge influx of Palestinians. 
Mm-hmm. And, and since then, uh, several million have, have become, you know, Jordanian. And as more Palestinian kids are born here, they become Jordanian citizens. So then, you know, the, it's trying to figure out what that identity is, is who's a Jordanian. And then also you've had um, influx of uh, Iraqi refugees over the years. So, um, but you know, th- there there are key moments that bring everyone together, uh, because mm-hmm. you know, the, as in anywhere in the world, uh, some of the basic needs of people, you know, are you know safety, shelter, and you know, there's there was a moment maybe three or four years ago where, um, I can't remember, maybe it was two years ago where they. Uh, uh, ISIS shot down the uh, the pilot, uh, the Jordanian pilot, and then he was it was broadcasted that he was burned alive, and you know that really brought the country of Jordan together because they said that could have been any one of us, and he he represents Jordan and and we need to stick together and to unify ourselves mm-hmm. for our very own survival, you know, um, so. Um, yeah, so that's a great question, but there, there's still, um, you know, the, uh, it's it's a work in progress. I want to, and I appreciate the the education on Jordan, but I want to shift back into your story a bit because when you you go to you go to Jordan, being yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. R- r- you were with uh, you were with a, you, a it, there was a job there. Like, remind me why you went to Jordan. I mean, yeah, I know yeah. that it was a job offer, but what was that job? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, we came out uh, with a, a church here, and um, and my, my wife uh, and I helped with short term teams. We taught English at at um, a local center here. Um, again, English is a is a is a very much in high demand uh, because it it really helps you get better jobs here in Jordan. Um, so that was that was our landing spot here in Jordan. When does the Alliance Academy start to percolate? Yeah, um, well, we joined. Um, I joined this uh, the school board um, in 2011, and again at this point, um, uh, it was it was still a dream. And um, one of the exciting things is uh, God had done a miracle and helped provide a million dollars. Just a crazy story that if I had time, I would share. And through that, we were able to start building the building. And um, as I said on the board, you know, when you sit on boards, you get more involved. And I started just getting a heart for for this, that was going to be this school. And um, what I love about the idea of the school that it's um, from the very beginning, it was going to be a school that wasn't... um, just for rich people, it was going to be affordable education for all. Hmm. Um, it wasn't going to be just for um, uh, healthy. It was going to also be able to reach kids that might have special needs or or that were physically challenged. And it wasn't hmm. going to just be for top top um, students of you know that that get the highest marks, but um, it could also be for other kids that might be slow learners. It was going to be very much of an inclusive school. Hmm. And um, so just from the very beginning, uh, um, God just kind of sucked me in and just I haven't stopped since. So, you know, I, that sounds like a unique idea for 
like anywhere in the States. I don't know that I have seen such a utopian kind of idea where we're all together in one big educational pot. What were the unique um, challenges that came with trying to start a, a school like that in Jordan? Well, um, you know, sometimes you just start and then you figure it out as you go. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, we launched the school in 2014. And the, and the beautiful thing is we launched it small. We just launched it with kindergarten, first and second grade. Hmm. And that, 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 that has given us the capacity and ability to kind of grow with the school. So, um, so w- but when we launched it, uh, about one month into the launch, um, was kind of like one of those markers in the history of the school that really solidified part of our vision. And what happened was a dad um, set up an appointment with me and he brought in his son and the dad just started sharing his story, you know, and we, we, we just, I remember sitting all around with a couple other of our school leaders and he just started talking about, about his son and how, how his son, uh, they discovered at a young age that he was autistic mm. and, um, you know, the, the dad was on this journey and, uh, finally he was able to, um, consult with a doctor in Germany and the doctor in Germany just telling him that, listen, if you really want to help your boy, you're going to you're going to include him with typically developing kids, because that's what he needs to see. Um, but so the dad was desperate to enroll him into uh, a private school, and the fact that his son had been enrolled in a special needs school was kind of like a make it made him blacklisted oh. to the point to the point where um, he, he wasn't able to get interviews even for them to assess his son. And he was just telling us how desperate he was and that he had heard about our school, about kind of our ethos and what we wanted to do. So what we ended up doing was we, we did a basic entry assessment for, the son, for his son. We realized that his English was adequate, his math was, it was, was fine, and that he could learn. He could he could be a part of our school, part of our environment. And really, um, that was kind of like that first leap of faith to say, God, we don't know everything that we're doing, but we believe that this is right and this is what you want us to do. And, and really, what's happened in the last three and a half years has just been absolutely crazy and hmm. remarkable. Tell me what life would be like. I, I, I'm trying to put it in a, in a context that that I, that I understand for someone who has special needs, because I know that in the States there are, you know, services for special needs children, but also a lot of times they are very, uh, quietly and almost passively just ignored and they are just not just a part of day to day, uh, the culture in the States. I'm wondering what it's like, and this is a generalization, but for, a special needs child who's living in Jordan, what is what is their existence going to be lo- like if they are not in Alliance Academy Jordan? And and this is where I just think that we we have a tremendous opportunity yeah. because I, I believe uh, through internet through the use of internet mm. and it, it, there's a new awareness arising, and parents are starting to advocate more for their children. Mm. Um, so it, it it it's kind of gone from. Uh, you know, this is a very much in Jordan of a shame and honor culture. Mm. So uh, for years, what, what's happened is if you have a child with, uh, with a 
a physical um, uh, disability or a mental or you know something like that of a disability, what it has done, it, it has brought shame on the family. Almost to the point where the family's apologetic or they try to hide their child. Hmm. And, and, um, but what, what's been happening and what we've seen is that parents are now more and more wanting to give their kids the opportunity to learn and to grow. And, and what they're finding is there's, there's not the opportunities that they wish their kids could have. Um, so there's, there's two big issues. And the one, the first one I was just talking about is the whole area of value that these kids are valuable and that they have something to offer. And that's where, that's one of the things that we're really trying to, um, to restore. We're trying to restore honor to families. Mm. So I want to, uh, ask two delicate questions that you can punt away if you would like, but I am aware of the fact that you share in your story that, um, you are a person of Christian faith. It is an important and, you know, vital part of your life. It has led you to, uh, to, to do this work, uh, conversely, or maybe on the other side of the same coin, I don't know how to put it correctly, but, uh, 92% of the folks that are in your country are Sunni Muslim. Um, and there is a very small percentage of individuals who are Christian who are living in Jordan. Can you tell me, um, what that relationship is like between being someone of faith and, and living in a place that Christianity is in the minority? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's a great question. And, uh, and correct any of my facts and figures or assumptions. I made I made some sweeping generalizations in that. So yeah. push back if, if I'm wrong. Well, just you know, for educational sake, um, actually, yeah. uh, the the statistic is probably a little higher now. Uh, it's probably hmm. 97 or 98 percent Muslim. Um, wow. And one of the one of the the key contributor contributing factors is that a lot of Christians are immigrating. Um, again, uh, part of that is economic and financial. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you go out and, and get a nice degree outside, then you ended up, you end up living outside or if you marry a foreigner, then you move back to their home country. So that, that's part of the, the, the change also with uh, the influx of refugees and the majority primarily mm-hmm. being Muslim, uh, from Syria that also kind of skews the percentage um, but you know, yeah. Jordan has a really rich history of 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 Christianity uh, that you know goes back to the early church. I mean, you know, this is where it all started. Uh, you know, actually, where I'm talking to you from right now, I'm about a 25 minute drive to Jesus's baptism. Um, wow. You know, so uh, the baptism is believed to have happened on this side of the Jordan. So there's, there's a rich, rich history. You know, we're also very close to Mount Nebo where Moses, mm. you know, he looked, he looked over the, the Jordan Valley and looked over to, you know, what we call the promised land. Um, so, you know, living here again, um, you know, uh, in different parts of history, you know, Christians and Muslims have lived at, lived in peace and, um, and that's one thing I really appreciate about King Abdullah. He he has really done a great job to integrate mm-hmm. Christians into Jordanian society. Um, and and uh, something that you might find interesting is the fact that um, 
holidays like Christmas and Easter are are official holidays for for Christians. Um, actually, hmm. Christmas is a national holiday. Um, everyone gets off, and for Christians, they get Easter off. Um, Christians also have hmm. representation in Parliament, so there's a certain number of seats that uh, give them representation. Um, so uh, you know, Christians are active in business here in in Jordan. Um, so there there is. You know, there's always people that, just like in the States, try to divide and create wedges amongst people that are different, you know. And in this case, in Jordan, it would be Muslims and Christians. But, um, you know, at the same time, I think Jordan has really done a great job to find that balance where uh, Christians and Muslims can live together in peace. Mm-hmm. As you think about, just a, a few final questions, as you've thought about the success of your school and what it has meant to the students that are there, and I'm sure to the faculty yeah. that are a part of it as well. Do you have any stories, faces, people that come to mind that really for you solidify, you know, this This is this is why we did this? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's a, there's a side that's personal because, um, you know, God uses our pain and our challenges uh, for his for his sake for his kingdom and you know one of the things in our own family story is that we have a son who's who's just um, such a joy but at the same time he's had challenges he, you know he's he's been diagnosed with things like anxiety with OCD mm-hmm. with sensory processing disorder so what that has done is that's exposed my wife and I to a whole new world of living with a child with special needs it's kind of mm. it's kind of wiped away that taboo like this is something unusual and it's made it normal and commonplace for us and what we and what we've wanted to do is you know create allow that same kind of access for all kids and um i remember in our second year um we had a, um this opportunity to help a family and there's this mm. this precious boy. He was in he was in grade, I believe he was in grade one at the time, and he was going to be moving into grade two. And he was in a wheelchair, and he has a cerebral palsy. So mm. so when our support department just said, "Hey, can we help this family?" I, I had to be honest, and I had to say, "Well, what is cerebral palsy?" <laughs> you know, like um, I you know I've heard the name, but I didn't know exactly what it was or what the cause was, and. You know, just looking into it, um, it, it's it's a it's a trauma to the brain at birth, and sometimes all it does is it affects the communication between your brain and your and your muscles, but it doesn't have mm. any cognitive effect on you know your ability to uh, you know for your mind to perform typically. So we we yeah. we did a, an assessment for this child, and uh, cognitively he was right on track. He 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 could perform uh, typically in the classroom with math, science, <laughs> and um, I remember one night sitting at my kitchen table and just saying, "Oh, okay, God, you know this is gonna, you know, if we want to accept him, what are people gonna think? How much money is this gonna cost us? How how can we, you know, we're gonna have to hire an extra person uh, to come and be his learning aid?" And I just remember that night, God said. Uh, Nathan, I built this school for this boy. Mm. And and that was, it was a done deal after that because, you know, you first of all, I've learned you can't argue with God. And second of all, 
if he tells you to do something, he's always going to provide for it, always. And it has just been tremendous. This little boy, what was going to happen to him is in Jordan, they have uh, um, a school that he could go until the third grade, and then there was going to be nothing left for him. So um, Hmm. we enrolled him in second grade, and, um, you know, he joined us uh, for, I believe, for second and third grade. And and this past year, we were able to raise the funds, and we put an elevator in our school. And um, just the other day, I was walking down the hallway, and I saw him by himself. You know, he was he was in the nurse's room, just to visit the nurse. And then later, I saw him with his electronic uh, uh, wheelchair, uh, and he was uh, getting onto the elevator by himself to go back up to class on the second floor. And Hmm. it it just was like, this is it. This is it. You know, a child who would have had no hope. And now Hmm. he has, he has confidence. He has independence. And the, uh, you know, last year he, he was the top in his, of his class in science, you know? So Hmm. like, you you know, (laughs) that's incredible. It's just, it's just been amazing to see. And again, it doesn't really boil. God uses us, but I'm just convinced that, when when we tap into God's passion, we just can see all kinds of miracles. I, uh, if, for those who are, first of all, that's incredible. I should preface with that, BS with that. That's, an, that's incredible. I, f- I'm aware of people also who are listening to this who are, you know, also, you know, we talked about it before, thinking about what's next, trying to get prepared, but also they want to help now they've heard about you they've heard about alliance academy jordan they want to be a part of what's happening uh but it seems far away and it seems huge and it's crazy to start a school and it's it's, you know there's just a lot that can keep us from actually taking a single step i'm curious what would you offer them as a first step both in being a part of academy alliance jordan but also just being a part of what's happening in (laughs) in the middle east if i can ask so broad a question yeah, yeah. I think, you know, sometimes we, li- we like to th- make things a little more complicated than they have to be. And, and I, think, mm. I think that the most important aspect is to keep your eyes open where you're at for that one person. Because again, God says, he who is faithful with a little, God will give him much. And we, sometimes we want to jump straight to the much and we want to skip over the one. And, um, you know, I've seen this in my life, you know, I remember there was a season when I was trying to help one person and it, it Mm. nearly exhausted me. It took, uh, it, it was like six months of trying to help this one person with some legal issues. And, but, you know, it, it gave me purpose because I knew God had wanted me to help this person and, and, and. So maybe to just say that if you're in college, if you are, you know, just starting a job or maybe you feel stuck or you're, you're hoping or dreaming for something, my, my advice would be just to keep your eyes open or even to ask God and just say, would you put somebody in my life that, that can challenge me, that I can, that I can love, that, that can stretch my faith? Because God's looking for people to be able to bless others. And and the reality is if you just open your eyes and you pray and ask God, you're, you'll realize that there, there's really no time to be bored. 
Um, hmm. the, the needs are so great. Even, even right everywhere in the States, there's needs, you know, it doesn't have to be overseas. It can be, it can be in suburbia America or in the inner city. There's needs everywhere. So, um, that would, that would be my advice just to, to get quiet before God. And if you ask God, you know, imagine if you ask God, God, would you put somebody in my life that I can bless, that I can love, that, that can, that can stretch me, uh, that I can make a difference in. God's going to do it. You know, he's, he's not going to say, nah, I, you know, I, I don't think you're ready. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to do it. Last question. How would you define an activist? I, I would, I was, I've been thinking about that and I would, I would say that I would define an activist as someone who sees a problem and then takes action. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I was sharing about the fact that, um, that I, I was, I spent six months trying to help one person and I felt like it was something that God had wanted me to do that God, you know, I had asked God, God, would you, would you, would you trust me with something? And he, he had me help this, this, uh, this, uh, actually family. And, um, and I remember at that time just saying, okay, God, I don't know how to help. And, and I started reading one of Gary Hogan's books. I think it was uh, uh, Just Courage. And mm. um, in, the, um, in the book, he was talking about how if you see a fire going on and you don't know the person inside, you would, you'll be a lot more likely just to drive by and just say, oh, God, help that person. But if you take the time to get out of your car and go and get to know the person in the fire, it immediately becomes personal. And, and I love that because I think an activist, it, it's very personal uh, because it, it's not a cause, it's, it's the person, you know? And, and in my case, that's what it was. I, I was, you know, advocating for one person and, you know, and that's where you that's where you have to start and um, that's how I define activists. Well, that was Nathan Greenfield and among all of the great things that he said, I think for me just, you know, you heard at the beginning of the conversation, you know, I'm just thinking about the Middle East as this big huge broad complex term. But just this time with Nathan really helped me to zoom in and remember that in the middle of Jordan, there is a kid with special needs who needs excellent and deserves excellent education. And Nathan and his team are able to provide that and to be able to provide that through Alliance Academy Jordan. So I, I really appreciated the perspective, but I also appreciated the ability to just zoom in and kind of declutter the narrative and just remember that there are people all around the globe who we have an opportunity to serve. I am grateful for Nathan and Rachel and their family and the entire Alliance team for the work that they are doing. If you would like to find out more about Alliance Academy Jordan, you can go to their website, aaj.edu.jo, as in Jordan. I will also put that website in the show notes. We are The New Activist on social media. You can find us both on Facebook and Twitter at New Activist Is, all one word, New Activist Is, and our website is newactivist.is. You can see all the show notes there and be a part of the conversation that happens throughout the week. 
A very special thank you to The Brilliance, just an incredible band who scored today's show. You can find out more about them, where they will be on tour, the music that they are releasing, all of that on thebrilliancemusic.com. A reminder to be a part of the Big Liberate Gathering. All of the planning is happening now. It's very exciting. The uh, We're doing, you may not know this, we're doing six live shows at Liberate, which you are invited to. The guest list is amazing. I kind of want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you. I can't tell you yet who is on the guest list, but I am really, really excited, a little bit nervous because I'm going to like interview some really fancy people, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun and I hope to see you there. Remember to go to liberategathering.org to get your tickets and enter in the promo code, the new activist. And with that, we go back into the world on behalf of Alliance Academy Jordan, Nathan Greenfield, my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as the relevant podcast network. I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. Thank you for listening to the New Activist Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And for more relevant podcast network shows, check out the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com.